You were the mayor's gatekeeper. Yes, I joined a women's group and I became the executive assistant. I had to get important women to come talk to our group. So Stothert was still the only city councilwoman. So I got her to come speak to our group. She liked our group so much she joined it. Wow. And then she was going to be on one of our committees. And then she said, oh, I can't do this. And I said, are you going to run for mayor? She goes, I can't tell you. <laughs> so then she did. I helped her out. And then eventually she made me her volunteer coordinator and then her office manager. And then when she won, she asked me to be her gatekeeper. I thought I'd be with her the whole time. But about a year and a half later, I started meeting the chaplains of Douglas County. Welcome to OMAPOD. We have a special guest with us today. My name is Christine Bacherman with Reformation at the Crossroads. And we're at Reformation of the Crossroads. Um, this is our sober living house. We don't have any residents right now. Okay. Because we don't have a house manager. But we do have a day program going on Monday through Friday, 9 to 3. And with lunch included, it's free to women. Our tagline is basically, um, we help addicted and wounded women avoid prison. So this is for women that have addiction problems or have some kind of trauma. So they can come, and who hasn't had trauma, right, in sure. their life? A car accident can be a trauma. There's, you could have a miscarriage, sexual, physical abuse, emotional abuse, anything like that. And the classes are tailored to you, to that woman. And how do most of these women hear about this, or how do they get to your doorstep? And then what's the process of getting them in the door when you do have the house manager for the full-time live-in scenario. Okay, it would be other chaplains that, and I'm a chaplain too. Okay. So through the jail, through the prison, through other chaplains, through other women that may have worked with women in jail and prison. And it would be women that maybe have jumped through some hoops already. And what I mean by that is that they've been asked to do some things. And when they've asked to do some things, they've done those things. So it's somebody that they say, I think would be a good fit, would follow the rules, would do what needed to be done while they're here. Seems like they're on the right trajectory and you want to get them into this environment and get them to a healthy and happy, hopefully, life upon them leaving. How long would they live here if approved and if all goes right and they stick to it? What's the time frame? that a resident would stay here? They could live here 18 months. Okay. And eventually we want to turn this into a 90-day house and then have a halfway house and then have a apartment with a one-stop shop. That's the big vision that we have right now. This is a small house right now and we're not zoned for a transition house. We're zoned for a family house, so it can only really hold a couple women. But we're starting out small and I've talked to other people that have transition houses and they say that it's better to start small because when you have personalities and all kind of different things and you make less mistakes and you're learning how to go through and this is we're just beginning so this is a beginning for us yeah and I think it's really cool we get to catch you at the early side as this develops for our listeners out there who aren't as familiar with this world I even when we talked before was maybe hesitant to use the term halfway house I thought perhaps that's not used anymore or has connotations but like you were just saying maybe could you give us a brief delineation between 
like you said, it's not quite a halfway house. Mm -hmm. What are the different tiers of these rehabilitative homes? Okay, so a 90-day house would be when they first come, and they first maybe come out of prison, or they come out of jail, or just where the first place that they come to. It would be a respite for them right away. They'd be able to rest a little bit, then they would be able to really work on themselves. And so they're not, for the first couple of months, they're not working. They're staying, they're working on themselves. Yeah. And they wouldn't be able to see their families, they wouldn't be able to see their kids. It would just be where they're working on themselves. Would they even have a phone or phone time? There would be a phone time. Okay. But they're not going to have their phone access to them all the time. Because that, as we know in today's society, the phones are a a distraction. And then after that, then a halfway three-quarter house would be something like when they get to be after two months, then they would get in the third month, probably even the second month, they could start looking for work. So then they can start working in three months. And then they can start paying rent and doing what they need to do. What were the steps that led you specifically to this venture? What was the kind of aha moment where you said, I'm doing this and I'm going to go through all the hassles and application Mm -hmm. process and certification? And what really inspired you to get this up and going? When I was growing up, I was really into a lot of drugs and alcohol. And now I've been sober for 19 years. Congratulations. Thank you. And one of the things that I found was that I grew up in a conservative home and I listened to a lot of talk radio. They didn't have a lot of sympathy or empathy for anybody that was in jail or prison. And I felt the same way. I felt like you should be in your room, you shouldn't have a TV, you shouldn't be able to work out, you should just serve your time and do hard work. And that's what I thought. Well, then when I was able to actually meet the chaplains, and be able to help out at the jail. I got to spend time with the women. I said, these women have trauma. And most of them are in there because of trauma. And sitting in their room and doing nothing and just with their thoughts is not gonna help them. They need some kind of reformation at the crossroads. It's reforming. So they need some kind of reforming, just like prison reform. They need some kind of reforming. That was what was important to me and that's how it just prison reform has just been a passion of mine. Many people may not even realize what a chaplain does. And what was your initial impression? Was it an immediate kind of eye-opening thing or something that was more gradual as you learned what they did? Or how did that develop your passion for becoming a chaplain yourself eventually? I just saw how much that they loved the women and they loved the men too because it was, there was men and women at Douglas County where I was at. And it was with Good News Jail and Prison Ministry. And I saw how much they loved the women and how the women reacted to the chaplains. And what a difference they could make in their life. And this is what started you on the path. How did that lead itself to what happens when people are out of, come out of incarceration? Was that just something through the chaplain relationship or looking at it from the bigger picture of forming relationships and keeping in touch? Or how did you translate from the world inside to what happens outside? Oh, that's a good question. I think I had people that I worked with that actually formed relationships with people outside and started mentoring them. And so I knew, and but I would see them keep coming in and out, in and out, in and out. Yep. And I'd be, there's got to be something. So it was when they got out, there had to be something. And this is the something 
having a house for them to come to, having rules, having relationships, having boundaries. I mean, everybody needs some kind of security. And learning to live with a family and live healthily with a family instead of going back and playing with the people that they were with before, that all they wanted to do was use drugs and steal and whatever it is that they did. So it was so they could do something different and learn. Because we want these women to go out into society and touch other women, just like a ripple in the pond. Just go out and be able to affect society, affect their workplace. And then people would say, wow, we want to help more people, more women that are in jail, prison. We want to donate and do what we can. So there's more houses. There's more. I'm not in competition with anybody. I'd love there to be tons of houses. And it's all worked together because each individual place has a special something for someone that would work better maybe than something else. And do you still do the chaplain work behind bars at all? Or is that totally, or how, and how frequently do you do that? I go to Potawatomi twice a month. Wow. I go two Sundays a month. And I just go in and bring a Bible study. And do you keep in touch with some after they're out? And do you form those relationships? Are you allowed to do that or not? Is that frowned upon or how does that work? If I see them places, I can't give them my phone number. I can't get their phone number. I can't do that when I'm in there. That's not right. That, and, and the one thing that I will be able to do once we get women, or once we get a house manager, I will be able to meet at a different time and be able to talk to the women, have a meeting, and say, we do have a house, and you're welcome. But you have to interview to come into the house. You have to fill out an application, and then you have to interview with us, too, just to make sure that you're the right fit. And is there any sort of interview with the other residents? If there's, say, a couple in and you're looking for a third, do the residents have a say or do that is that not allowed you ask a good question you're asking good questions that's one thing that i haven't even thought about i'm glad you said that because that is something probably the other housemates would probably be a good idea they're not going to make the final decision but knowing their personalities the person and i like a board member and i would interview with them and we have a licensed therapist too so a lot of times she's in on the interview when we talk to, and she does that with the house manager too. So to make sure that we're all on the right page and we look at their medications and our registered nurse can look at their medications and know that's a pretty heavy medication that might not work here because of maybe some psychotic drug right. they're on or something. So we have to just be careful with that. A case-by-case basis on everything, I'm sure. Totally. What really makes someone change? I'll tell you, the first time I got sober, I was sober about 10 years, and (laughs) I manipulated and controlled through the whole time. Really? I I got different sponsors. I went to different meetings, so nobody would know who I was. And that didn't work at all. Not one little bit did it work, because then I went back out again for about four or five years, and I drank really pretty heavy. I drank at home, but I still drank pretty heavy, and I thought I could do it myself. I didn't think that I was powerless over alcohol. I thought I could just go out and do whatever I wanted, and then I found out I couldn't. Then I had to come back in again with my tail between my legs yeah. and say, okay, and it was really embarrassing. It was very embarrassing because when you've been sober for 10 years and then you've got to come back in sober for a day and sober for two days. Yeah. And then now I've been sober for 19 years. And that's one thing I tell people is don't give up and don't let embarrassment stop you because 
there's a lot of life to live out there. And the second time around, I just found so much to live for. I found so many things that I, how I could help people. And that's when I feel the best is when I can help people. And so when the first 10 year increment was part of you thinking, I will get back to drink again, or was it shifting? Did you know what you were doing even as you were doing it or? I think subconsciously I did. Yeah. But I. Was it that you resented the control aspect of it? (laughs) Yes. And I'm a very, when you would talk about the different people like a choleric or sanguine or I'm more of a choleric type. Okay. And so more of. I want to control and that's my way of of dealing with things is trying to control things so it has taught me to control but it also being a cleric you push forward and you get a lot of things done that's a good thing yeah but you push past sometimes places where you shouldn't push past and then you make a lot of mistakes anything that you wish you'd known before you jumped in this world that might be helpful to people or advice to policymakers generally one thing I'd say is just remember you're not in a competition yeah it's there's people are really when it comes to the purse strings people are really like tight with the purse strings and they don't want to share things because they're afraid you're going to get the money and they're not going to get the money i appreciate all the work you're doing and thank you on behalf of the community and especially for sharing some of your story thank you very much christine bacherman reformation at the crossroads thank you